today we find ourselves in the book of Zephaniah. The title of my message is From Judgment to Blessing. How many of you have ever felt judged? Anybody? <laughs> okay, now everybody kind of, yeah, sure. How many of you have ever, though, with that same willingness to raise your hand or nod, how many of you have ever judged someone, right? We all have judged someone. In fact, I go to Planet Fitness um, to work on my physical uh, strength and mobility, and um, they have big signs of everywhere, judgment-free zone. Uh, You're not supposed to be looking, laughing, pointing, all that kind of stuff. You just let people be. Let them live, do their own thing. But I got to tell you, (laughs) there are some pretty crazy things I see in there. Um, There's... uh, there's a, an acrobatic dancer of some sort that gets on the treadmill doing all sorts of funky stuff. And I don't know what kind of music that this person is listening to or what, but it's really hard to not judge sometimes, okay? I just have to go like this and head to the locker room, put my stuff down and come out and go like this as I walk away just to try to steer clear of it. But I say that to say just as a preference, a preference, preface, I can't get my word out, a preface to the message this morning that God is actually a judge. And actually, he does want you as a believer to judge certain things. And he is a just judge. Now, we actually try to promote our church as a judgment-free zone. You've heard me tell you some pretty dramatic stories about people judging one another within the body of Christ. It's bad. It never goes well. It never ends good. So we need to be careful about judging about appearances and things like that. But the book of Zephaniah that we're going to look at today, God clearly demonstrates himself as a judge. But after the judgment, there's the possibility of restoration and blessing. So, we've talked about our human connection, but how many of you have ever felt judgment from God? This is a serious thing to feel and to experience for yourself. And one of the prophets, his name is Zephaniah, we're going to look at today, he is trying to communicate to the people then that a judgment is coming from God, and he, he lists out a lot of details with it, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it, But let me just say this at the start. There is always, always hope for redemption. Amen? There's always hope for redemption. So Zephaniah was a man who preached to Judah, um, the uh, the section section of Israel called Judah. And it was following the downfall of the northern kingdom. Zephaniah's name actually means Jehovah or God hides. Or is concealed. That's what his name in Hebrew means. King Hezekiah was his great, great grandfather. So he's a royal in the royal line. And he is a prophet of God to the people to declare to them what God is up to and what he's planning. He was a contemporary. He lived during the days of another few prophets that you may have heard of. One of them being Jeremiah. He lived during the same time as Jeremiah and Nahum and Habakkuk, which we've looked at some of those books already. 
Zephaniah prophesied in the days of King Josiah. I don't know if you remember that from Sunday school days, but King Josiah was really young when he became the king of Israel. And King Josiah was a good king and a great reformer. But after his reforms and after him being a good king and living righteously and doing what he knew to be right, we're told that the nation ends up backsliding soon after he dies. You say, wait, pastor, I heard that backslide is not in the Bible. Actually, it is. That principle is all throughout Scripture. In fact, God is trying to get our attention through every page of Scripture. Once we have come to Him, there are moments where we draw back and away from Him, and we slide back into our own way of doing things. And so God is consistently, if you want to think about it in romantic terms, wooing us and calling us back. If you would just come back to me, I'll help you. If you would just come back to me, I'll make things right. If you would just come back in this direction, you'll experience blessing. And so Zephaniah is living during the days of Josiah. And then Josiah's reforms were short-lived and the nation backslid after him. Zephaniah talks about the coming day of the Lord. Now, we've talked a little bit about this. We still believe there's a coming day of the Lord. The nation of Israel experienced several of those. We, as a world today, will experience the day of the Lord. It may be in your lifetime now. It may be coming. This was a day of judgment. It was going to happen in Jerusalem. It was going to happen in the nation of Israel. And it was going to actually happen. God's judgment was going to happen to the nations surrounding Israel. In fact, Zephaniah points out the nation to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. So to the enemies of God, judgment is coming. But it's also coming to the people of God. You say, wait a second. But we're his people. Don't we, get a, don't we get a pass? No, we don't get a pass. We need to look and see the imagery that's listed here in the book of Zephaniah to help us understand. And there's another portion of scripture that, and basically this thought that's been promulgated for a long time. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. That the judgment of God, that God is looking at his bride and he's looking to see if she's dirty. If she's got areas of her life that are not pure, that are not holy. He wants to help fix and course correct those things. Yes, he'll deal with our enemies, but first he wants to deal with us. And so as I look through the book of Zephaniah, I really see that Zephaniah points out three different things having to do with perspective. The first one is a look inward or a look inside. The next is a look outside around the nations that are around Israel. And then the other one is a look beyond judgment to a place of blessing. So we're going to look at all of these this morning. But the idea is this. When we talk about God being a judge, if you repent, you can be saved. I wonder how many things in our lives could have been avoided <laughs> if we how much heartache could have been avoided had we just repented had we just walked in the way that is worthy of God's way 
God doesn't bring, here's the thing about God being a judge. And we talk about, and there's t-shirts. I saw one this week. God is love. Is this true? Can I get a loud amen? amen. Yes, amen. God is love. But we have to understand comprehensively all together, there are multi, there's a multi-dimensional aspect to who God is. And yes, he is love, but he is also a judge. And we don't talk about that very often, but when he judges, here's the deal. He doesn't judge like a tyrant. He doesn't judge like a an emotional child who's just angry they didn't get what they wanted. He doesn't judge based on fickle emotions. He judges on something that's higher and grander in scope than that. The reason he judges is because he's holy, and whatever is not holy must be judged. He's got to issue judgment on that, or else he is not holy. I know that seems like a a circle of thought, but that's true. So from judgment to blessing, the three sections we'll talk about. The first one is a look within. Another word we could use for this is the word introspection. Have you ever done a little introspection? A little looking within? It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not fun. But it's healthy. And here's the thing. This is not... This is not, I'm, I'm not your guru trying to teach you to look within. The answer lies within. No, no, absolutely not. The answer does not lie within you. You, you are, I don't want to go too far here, but you internally are soiled. You're dirty. You're not perfect. You're not good enough. You say, pastor, I came here today to get lifted up. The only way you can get lifted up is by having something else invade your internal area of your life. Something from outside of you. So the answer is not within you. It truly is in him who is in you. So introspection is really healthy. But when's the last time that you looked inside? I know we're all too busy. We're running here, there, and everywhere. We forget what we had for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or if we even ate. We forgot the six tasks we were supposed to do last week that we now have to do this week. We've got kids or grandkids. We've got jobs, responsibilities, all the things. We must take time to look inside. But the point is this. Your light is not enough without the Holy Spirit's help. So take a a long walk. Sit by a lake. Take a drive without listening to some politics on the radio. And just get some time with God's help. God, am I pleasing you? God, am I living in every area of my life in a way that pleases you? That sort of introspection is healthy. I promise you, people around you will benefit from it, not just you. So Zephaniah chapter 1, we're going to read verse 2 through 6 here in just a second. But this look within, Zephaniah is telling them that the Lord is bringing judgment upon Judah. God is a just judge and he's holy and he doesn't tolerate sin. In fact, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says this, Your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. 
it's not, uh, it's not hard to imagine how the, gen- the book of Genesis plays into this. Adam and Eve committed sin and hid themselves from God. So the prophet announces this in verse 2 of chapter 1. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. Well, that's a dramatic opening statement. Verse 3, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant, the leftover of Baal. That's a false god they worshipped. And the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Your version may say something different. It's another foreign deity. It is not God himself. Verse 6. Those who have turned back, slid back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So God's statement is very clear. It's a warning saying, I'm going to wipe you all out. And there's one major sin that's listed throughout here that he is harping on, if you will. And that is, you cannot serve God and something else. God must be first or he's none at all. Some introspection would be healthy for each of us to evaluate just on that question. Is God first in my life? If he's not, he's definitely not 20th. He's not on the list. That's his perspective. And truly that should be ours. So we're told that the day of the Lord is at hand. In in chapter 1, verse 7 through 13, it tells us that the punishment is going to affect Judah and Jerusalem. The princes and the king's children. The Bible doesn't actually say that the king himself is mentioned there. But it says that his children and the princes, upon all who are violent and deceitful, they'll be wailing and mourning in the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord will search out and punish those who are complacent. This is the day that's described. And then you look in verses 14 to 18. More more description is given. It says that there's going to be devastation. That there's going to be darkness that comes. Distress. People will be living in distress and desolation. And here's the thing. Nothing can save you from it. Not even your money. Your silver and gold in those verses, it clearly says, God's word says, it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank, it's not enough to stop the judgment of God from coming. So the things essentially that we feel make us secure are not the things that are going to prevent his judgment from coming. You say, well, pastor, I thought we're living in an era of grace. Grace, amazing grace. Yes, we are, but God is still a judge. And we, as we look at the scripture in the Old Testament, seeing what happened then, we can know that God has not forgotten he's still a judge. How many of you think we live in a perfect world? Anybody? Live in a perfect nation. 
Anybody? Perfect community. You've got perfect neighbors. Nope. None of that is true. God still is a judge even these days. And I truly do believe that judgment is coming for those who do not repent. Nothing can save you from this except for God himself. So he, so Zephaniah calls the nation to repent and he uses some language. Before the day of the Lord comes, you can get right with him and you can be saved. It's the same message that we've been preaching for thousands of years now. That God is a judge and he does judge sin. And before his judgment comes upon you, you can avoid it by accepting his gift of love and becoming his child. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Look at what verse 3 says. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who obey his commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Does anybody in here remember the story of the Passover? Just raise your hand or nod at me. The story of the Passover, what essentially takes place, the angel of the Lord, God himself, comes through. And when he comes through, only those who have obeyed him are, are rescued or saved from the anger that's burning that God has and the judgment that comes. So the, that look within is not a very pretty sight. Chances are with you and me, if we take time today or this week to look within, we'll find some really good stuff. But there are also some darker places, some places that need to be fully surrendered to God. So when we look at something like this that affected a nation and a people thousands of years ago, it might be easy to say, well, yeah, they should have got their act together. But as we look at it, we can apply it to ourselves and wonder if maybe our future self would say to us, man, he should really get his act together. So let's look around then, looking at what Zephaniah starts speaking to the nations around Jerusalem and around Israel. In chapter 2, verse 4, he starts talking about Philistia, the place of the Philistines. He says this, that the cities will be made desolate and the inhabitants will be destroyed. The land will be given as a piece of property to the people or the, the leftovers of those who are from Judah, whose captivity God will restore. He also talks in later in verse 8 to Moab and Ammon. These are two other enemy nations. He tells them, he says that they will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They got burned up. They got eliminated because of their pride, the Bible says in Zephaniah. Their pride and because they mocked God's people. 
Then in verse 12, it says that God will be worshipped one day by people from all nations. Essentially in chapter 2 verse 12, it says that Ethiopia will be slain by the sword. Assyria with its capital of Nineveh. We've talked about that several times throughout this message series. It will become desolate in verse 13 through 15. All these different judgments are being issued to these different places. And then there's this woe. To Jerusalem. She's rebelled against the Lord. Look at chapter 3. Verse 1 through 5. Chapter 3 verse 1 through 5. Talks about her rebelling against the Lord. That she's not obeyed his voice. Or drawn near to him. Her leaders are like lions and wolves. They're doing violence against the law. The unjust knows no shame. In this place. But the Lord is righteous and he never fails in his justice. Nothing. Now this is comforting and threatening all at the same time. Nothing escapes the eyes of the Lord. Now if you're living in the side of holiness, that's great. Man, that's a great comfort to me. God's going to get my enemies. He's going to provide for me. He's going to make a way. He goes before me. All of these wonderful things are available to me. But if we're on the other side of it, and God's eyes are not dim, and he sees all acts and actions, then there is fear. Look up at me and hear me. Hear me. This, this statement is so true. The unrighteous have reason to fear. But the righteous have no reason to fear. Like I said, God is not up there going zap, zap, zap. He's not playing a game. He's not getting angry emotionally like a child and just trying to get his way. He is judging justly. In fact, God's given the people of Israel warning after warning that should have prompted her to return to him. But instead, the people have corrupted themselves. They've given themselves corrupt leaders. They've allowed a lot of things to take place that shouldn't be taking place. One of the biggest things that happens in the whole book of Zephaniah that's talked about and really in between the lines are two major sins. The sin of idolatry, which is anything above God, and the sin of pride. These are two big, glaring things that are throughout that God is judging them because of this. We're going pretty quickly through this, but it's the look within and the look around the nations that have been the enemies of God. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Have you ever had an enemy? Raise your hand. Whether you made them, you deserved them or not, every one of us has had an enemy at some point. And here's the comforting thought in all of this. If you just wait it out and trust God, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. There is a verse in scripture that has been quoted quite often. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God will take care of it. That patience, though, the waiting... For him to take care of it is hard. It was hard for a person like David who was living righteously in the moments that he wrote. God, why do I see the wicked prosper? I see the end. I am running for my life. And where are you? He, he had some gut-wrenching prayers in the Psalms to pray. But the truth was God did take care of his enemies. God will take care of yours. 
You just have to trust him and wait upon him. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 8, it says very clearly that we're to wait on the Lord. I'm reminded of the passage in Isaiah that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We need to wait upon the Lord, even in His just justice or judgment. God will restore His people. This is where the amazing hope starts to come in. That God will judge His people. He'll judge the enemies of His people. But there's always hope for restoration. There will be those who turn to Him and truly obey and trust in Him. And God is going to, He's really going to help them. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 3, it says that He's going to restore to the people, to the peoples, a pure language to worship and serve Him together. Those who are dispersed in chapter 3, verse 10, they're going to start bringing offerings from far off to the Lord. And God is going to remove the proud from his mountain in chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. He's going to whittle away and bring only those who are meek, who are obedient, who are humble, who trust him. And look at what verse 14 says. Chapter 3, verse 14 So there will be joy in Jerusalem. So sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice, exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. This is something to get excited about. When God has seen that his people are turning to him... And now he's removing the judgment. It says, the Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. We don't have a moment like that in this modern day and age. We were somewhere recently... The family was, and it was not in the greatest place. And there was a little bit of fear, even in my children's hearts, of, okay, Daddy, stay close to me. They've not watched a scary movie. They haven't seen murder and death. They don't watch the news. They don't know how really sick this world is. But yet there was fear inside of them in that moment. There will be a time that there will be an absence of fear because of the presence of the Prince of Peace. And you can even experience that now spiritually before the world gets changed completely. You can have peace in the midst of a war zone. You can have peace in the midst of a failing marriage. You can have peace in the midst of a dead-end job. You can have peace because it says, I love that word, that phrase there, The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you should have no fear. When he is with you, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And what? Fear no evil. Why? Because he's with you, and God's got this. There is encouragement in the midst of this. So it says there in verse 
uh, 16, chapter 3, verse 16. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. It says he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He'll encourage or exalt over you with loud singing. Did you know God sings? Better than any American idol. I'm, sh- I'm sure his voice doesn't crack. I'm sure it's always on pitch. The Bible says that he's going to get so excited that his people are with him and that all things are well, that he's going to sing and rejoice over us with gladness, that he's going to sing. Verse 18, it says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. You'll no longer be judged. Verse 19, behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors. Somebody get excited. This is good stuff. And I will save the lame and I'll gather in the outcast. I'll change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Look at what verse 20 says. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes. Man, what a promise. What a promise this is for those who are faithful, who those who are living holy, those who are obedient, those who are trusting in him, those who are walking in his peace and in his presence. What an amazing picture this is. So the Lord's going to remove their judgments and remove their enemies. And he's going to be in their midst. We could use that in our day and age today, we can apply that same thought to us today that when God steps into the situation, all things start coming into place. Peace starts to present itself when God is allowed to enter. So I don't know about you, but maybe there's some place or some situation in your life that you're struggling to see God's presence. You're struggling to feel and know that he is there. If you're not unrighteous, you have no reason to fear. But if you're righteous, you've got to live by faith. I was talking in starting point this morning, sharing about the beliefs that we hold. And as I said some of them out loud, I thought, yeah, you know what? This does sound a little bit weird. (laughs) It requires faith. To believe that God sent his son to live on this earth, to die at the hands of angry people, to then raise from the dead, and then to offer me hope. That requires faith. It requires faith not just to walk the aisle and come and pray the prayer when I'm eight years old, but it requires faith to believe that God is going to help me right now, 15 years into my marriage, 12 years into our first child, into the the career path as my bivocational thing. God has got to help me in the here and now, even what I'm struggling with now, it still requires faith. 
I can't lose sight of that. It's not just faith to believe that he exists and that he did something 2,000 years ago, but it's faith that he exists and that he's going to do something today. Come on. We've got, to, we've got to get away from the fear that the world is trying to feed us. It's real. It's palpable. They're trying to push it on us in every way, shape, and form. Fear that if we don't allow this or that or this or that, I mean, fill it in. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to start talking about all the social challenges. But if we don't allow that pressure in, we'll be a lot more peaceful. But the world is pushing its agenda on us, on our children, on our grandchildren. And yet... We have to have faith and we've got to walk by faith in the God who created the universe, who knows you by name, who knew you before you were born, who knows what struggles you're facing right now. He knows how many hair or how little hair you have on your head. And Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, when he talks about the, if God takes care of the sparrows and makes sure that they're fed, how much more does he watch over his kids? That should cause your faith to rise up, even in the midst of living in a fearful world. That God's got this. And sometimes we just need that reminder. Maybe you need that reminder today. Worship team, would you come? I was thinking about this um, during worship, and I thought, you know, people pay big bucks for the acoustic concert, for the unplugged version. And we didn't have to pay big bucks. If you want to add something to your tithes or offering, you can. But we didn't have to do that today. But man, wasn't that good? It's good every once in a while to just have a little change and to just experience that quiet stillness in worship. I think it's beneficial for us, especially on a day like today, with this sort of message as we've kind of run through the book of Zephaniah and seen exactly what God said to them then and what he, how he behaved. It gives us a picture of what he has planned for us and how he still behaves. But also, I think one of the biggest things that we could do today, one of the most beneficial things that we could do is spend a moment in quiet reflection as they begin to play let's not just jump right into the words or the lyrics of a song but let's truly take just a moment maybe it's not that you're struggling with some sort of behavior in your life but maybe it's that you're struggling to see God's presence in something that's really hard it takes faith to believe that he's there and I would say to you by the spirit of God don't let your faith die don't let it dwindle reach out to him when life gets really hard, he's still there. Maybe you could ask yourself these questions, and I, I wrote them down 
as I went through the message and kind of rehashed it and chewed on it a little bit, I was thinking through some questions of how to apply this message for us today. We talked a little bit about the unrighteous and how they should fear and how the righteous should live by faith. But really, if you're reading it like I read it, there's an encouragement all throughout those three chapters for us to be faithful, to be obedient, to trust Him, to live holy. So the question that you could ask yourself today, in what way this week can I be more faithful to you, Lord? In what way can I increase my obedience? Maybe there's something that the Lord's been kind of going like this to you for quite some time and you built up a callus there and you've never said yes, but today's the day that you can, that you can allow him access and entrance into that area of your life where you need to obey him. Maybe there's an area of your life that you're struggling to trust him in. You say, I've got the whole faith thing down. He saved me and set me free. I bring my kids and my grandkids. But you know, uh, when it comes to my finance, I just, I don't. uh, Or when it comes to my job, I just. uh, Maybe there's just one little area that you're struggling to trust him in. Maybe you're single and trusting him for a partner in life. Trust him today. Confess your weakness to him and say, Lord, I I need to trust you more. Help me trust you more. And he will. He won't decline that request. Or maybe it's this last and final question that you could ask of yourself. But if we're honest, I don't think we really need to ask this question in a formal way. And that question is this, in what area of my life am I struggling to be holy? Is it in my thought life? Is it in my actions towards others? Is it in my speech? Probably don't have to search very far with the Holy Spirit's light to find the area that we know that we need to correct. And there's hope because you don't have to correct it all on your own. God can help you today. Stand with me. So what area can you be more faithful in this week? What area do you need to obey him greater in? What area are you struggling to trust him in? What area are you struggling to be holy in? those questions. Let them just chew on them this morning for just a moment with the Holy Spirit's presence here today and let him help us. God, we are a broken people. We're not all that pretty on the inside, not without you and your help. God, there are areas of our lives that we struggle to trust you in. There's areas where we're not living in obedience. There's areas where we're not living holy. There's areas where we're not being faithful to you and you've 
you've fallen down in our priority list. God, today I pray that you would help these people, this man, each one of us, to truly, truly accept you in every area of our lives. To let your peace and your presence invade the chaos that we face. And Lord, let us see that image of you being so excited and joyful that you sing over your people today. Lord, bless us in the journey. We've not always succeeded, but today we're trying again and we're doing it with your help and we believe that you will answer these prayers.